Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. It's time for another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels in our Santa Monica studios where we have another great show lined up this week. Talking with the newest member of the Tennis Channel on camera team, current pro and new mother Taylor Townsend. She stopped by the studio last week to give an update on how she's handling the TV gigs, a return to the court, but more importantly to tell her story, the highs and lows, the epic match against Simona Halep in the 2019 U.S. Open, and all her interests. It was a very fun chat with Taylor Townsend, who's not done on the tennis courts at all by no means. And then we talked to Prakash Armitrage about the Cincinnati Masters, Alexander Zverev and Ash Barty win trophies. We gear up for the U.S. Open, no Serena Williams, we break down that. And if Novak Djokovic can go for all four majors in a calendar year, it's Taylor Townsend and Prakash Armitage on Tennis Channel Inside In. Let's start the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. It's Mitch Michaels here, as always, hosting the show. We're just on a roll here talking to players, and I think we're we're trying to hit everybody who won something at Wimbledon 2012. We had Jeannie Bouchard last week. Now it's her doubles partner from the junior event that year. It was the former number one junior player in the world, reached number 61 in the rankings, still just 25 years old, tennis channel studio analyst, and now a new mother. It's Taylor Townsend on the show. What's up, everybody? Taylor, thanks for fitting this into your busy schedule. Like You you guys are just jumping into TV like right out of the get-go. Yeah, it's well, I, I'll take this over the hurry up and wait any day because at least we know what time we're going to be doing yeah. stuff instead of like 50-hour rain delays. Yeah, you guys had some really brutal luck with the rain <laughs> and like right from the get-go just having to sit around. Then you feel our pain, right, when there's a three-set match. Like you see the second set and you're, we're not supposed to root, but we're rooting because yes. you want to have the show go on. Yes, I was like, I have such an appreciation now for like everything that goes on behind the scenes because I've had Tennis Channel on for the last, I don't know how many months, but you don't understand what all goes into it. So now like I'm here and I have to wait for two and a half hours for a match to finish or four hours like yeah so i appreciate everything you guys do well that that means a lot you're buttering us up i'll try to just stay impartial uh, <laughs> going forward but I, I did bring up Jeannie because she was last week's show and she talked about that last last week that you guys were partners in that wimbledon doubles tournament and that mm -hmm. was at the height of i think both of your powers as junior top players <laughs> yeah what was that like you know playing with her and then ultimately getting to the top going to the wimbledon ball that year yeah what was that experience like for you it was so much fun because, like, we had been playing juniors, like, off and on together. But um, it was cool because I didn't really know Jeannie that well until we started playing doubles. And then we just kind of developed such a great friendship. And it was really fun. I mean, we won Roehampton. Then we went and won Wimbledon. I was really bummed because I won three out of the four junior slams. And we were playing together at Junior Rolling Garros. And I rolled my ankle in the semis. I was so <laughs> mad because I was like, I could have had the, <laughs> like the all, all four. Because like yeah. for sure, we were just playing so well. Yeah. And we had kind of gelled in and everything. And the Wimbledon ball was unreal. Like 
it was so much fun. So it kind of set us up for a friendship later down the road. And, yeah. and we started playing doubles together pros. So we, we made the finals. I can't remember what year it was. But we made the finals of the city open together as well. So we we're a great team. How does that, I was going to ask you that later, but we can go over now. How does that work? Like picking doubles partners like that? Like, how did you just run into someone yeah. like, Hey, you're good. I'm good. Let's play together. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty much, you just ask like, it's, yeah. it's no, no set mm -hmm. partners or anything like that. I mean, you have people who are a team where say, okay, we're going to play these tournaments together yeah. and try to give ourselves a chance to have an extended period of time because doubles is hit or miss. Like you can have a great week, yeah. you know, so it all just depends on your partner. So yeah, I mean, nothing set in stone. Were you starstruck at all at that Wimbledon ball? Like I know Roger obviously oh. won that year. So that's probably the answer. Yeah. I mean, I have a picture with him. So I was like, yes, but, um, I definitely was. Cause like Serena won that year. Yeah. Roger won that year. And it was just something that you hear about, but to actually be there, I was just like, Oh my gosh, it was really cool. So I buried the lead here. I love talking to a fellow uh, Midwesterner as well. Oh, nice. Chicago uh, yes. coming up. Uh, and I believe it's six years old is when you started playing tennis. Yes. Is that right. Was that love at first sight? Did you know it was like, I'm pretty good at this right away? Or did it take some time to develop? Well, I started at four. So I, I started playing at four. My sister was playing before me. So she, I have an older sister who's two years, um, two years older, excuse me. And she was playing and I would always go to her lessons, but I wasn't hitting. Yeah. And it would drive me crazy because I was like, I want to do everything that she's doing. So if that I younger <laughs> sibling syndrome. <laughs> yeah. So if I wasn't able to hit, like I would go out on the court and like act like I was picking up balls. I'd pick them up and like throw them at her or like throw them at my coach. <laughs> and then my yeah. coach would pick balls up and throw them back at me. He's like, go away. So, um, I was always around the game. My mom played. Um, so just seeing people around me play, I was just like kind of gravitated towards the sport, but it was, it kind of was love at first. I didn't really think about it. I was just like, I like hitting things. This is, I get to hit it as hard as I can. And I'm going to try to hit it over the fence. So like, that was my goal at first. <laughs> like, yeah, I, a lot of kids relate to that. Yeah. Like I didn't really care about the rules. I'm like, why? Like, this is dumb. So let me just try to hit it over the fence. And then yeah. I was like, slowly Let's brought it in. That, yeah, yeah. Then I slowly brought it in. Well, I guess it's good that they didn't sign you up for like boxing or like a martial <laughs> art or something i wish but was there a point when you realized like i'm like significantly better than most if not all kids my age um not really like when i was when i was younger i was always the youngest of my group so like i was always like not necessarily the smallest yeah. but like i was like the little runt kind of thing so yeah. i was always playing with people that were way better than me and that mm were bigger than me and stronger yeah. than me. So I, I think it kept me humble because I never was like, oh, I'm this much better than you because I was always trying to prove myself amongst my peer group of who I was training with. But really until I, until I started like playing tournaments and kind of getting outside of like hitting with 15 year old guys and I'm eight, <laughs> like, and then I started playing against girls my age and I saw, oh, okay, like I can compete and I can do well. And then it kind of, I separated myself like when we moved down to Atlanta and like I was 12, 11, 12 playing like 18s. And at first it wasn't an easy transition. Like I was getting my butt kicked, but yeah. then by 12, 13, like I was winning tournaments. So that's when I was like, oh, okay, like yeah. I'm better than the you're average like, 12 year old. You're playing like full grown women yeah. when you're 11 years old. Like yeah. that's, a, that's a big jump. It sounds like, you know, I asked the question a lot, like who are your idols and stuff, but it sounds like it was mostly in house, like your sister, your mom, like they were, 
the tennis influences that you looked up to. Yeah, well, my my game idol is Martina Navratilova. Mm. Like I've always that's a that's a very like profound answer for yeah. someone your age. Yeah, you weren't around when she played. So yeah, that's studying a lot. Yeah, I I definitely studied her game. Like the first thing that gravitated like that I gravitated towards with her was like, she wore glasses on the court and I wore glasses and I'm like, Oh, she's lefty. I'm lefty. And then as I started to kind of watch, I just love the way that she carried herself on court. Cause it kind of reminded me of myself, like she was a great competitor, but she was like edgy and you know, she wasn't afraid to show her emotions. And, um, you know, you could kind of tell how she was feeling like while she was playing, she kind of let the spectators in to what was kind of going on on the court and I just really loved that, and I loved her game. Like, she chipped and charged. She loved coming to the net, serving volley, was very aggressive, and that kind of spoke to everything inside of me. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, but um, definitely, like, my sister, obviously, growing up playing with her. And then I'm, like, Donald Young Jr. He's been, like, his mom mm-hmm. and dad were my first coaches, and so they taught me how to play. So I've always been around Donald. And I was around him when he was number one junior and one junior Wimbledon, one junior Australia, and was number one. So – um, being able to be that close to someone who was having that success, like was really enlightening for me. So I was very lucky to have that. Yeah. And Donald, Donald Young senior has been your coach for so many years yeah. and through the formative process as well. I, I would imagine that he's been, you know, important to your game as well. Um, yeah. He shaped yeah. everything like the way that I play is cause of him. It, it's, it's been a remarkable journey to watch. Like a lot of kids, you had to make that commitment, or maybe you were kind of nudged in the direction <laughs> of that commitment, but you left home at a young age. Mm-hmm. You were focused on getting to where you wanted to go tennis-wise. Mm-hmm. A lot of kids don't make that decision or, or won't make it. Yeah. What was different for you, and why were you willing to just focus everything on tennis at such a young age? Well, I want to let everyone know, like, I made the decision, and then I backed out. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you got cold feet, but then yeah, you backed in. Yeah, yeah I, and so I actually got accepted into the program when I was 13, and it was three days before I was supposed to leave. And Boca Raton. Yeah, yeah, down to Boca to go train at USTA. And I was just like, oh, I'm not ready yet. So I had all my stuff packed. Everything was ready, and I was like, we're leaving Saturday. It was Wednesday. I was like, I'm not ready. So I ended up not going, and then – did my eighth grade year and then after eighth grade I was like okay I'm ready now I reapplied I got accepted and that was great so it wasn't like initial like ah I'm so disciplined no like I had to give myself time so that's 13 years old within three years you're the number one junior in the world yeah like we're talking 15 yeah two years yeah that sounds super fast from the outside Mm -hmm. in the moment was it like I'm there, I'm competing, I'm number one, or was it a lot slower than it looks? Oh my God, it was such a, it was such a grind. Like it was, the transition itself wasn't easy because I was going from a lot of things, being at home, being with your parents, being with your family, to being alone, going to public school, to then having to do online school and teach myself. Um, So I, I had a lot of like transitional things and wasn't around my friends. I was used to being like social yeah. and didn't really have that. And everything was geared towards tennis. So um, that was a transition. But I was doing really well in, in doubles and like I was winning everything in doubles, but I wasn't doing well in my singles. And so for basically two years, like from when I went down there from 2011, well, 2010, to basically the end of 2011 so like basically almost two years like I struggled and I wanted to quit playing singles like I I was like I'm done like this sucks I suck at this like I'm not winning any matches all of my peers around me were doing really well I was being selected for like the U.S. teams and stuff but only for doubles and I felt like 
less than, you know what yeah. I mean? Well, so like, like what kept you in it? I mean, cause obviously you had that moment where it's fight or flight. Yeah. What kept you in the game? Well, I had a conversation with Noah Rubin. Like I remember we were down in Florida and I was just like, Noah, like I just kind of landed all on the table. Yeah. like, this sucks. Like I'm just over it. And you know, I think I'm just going to only focus on doubles. And he was just like, Taylor, no, like you're way too good for that. Like just stick it out. And he was doing really well in the juniors and the singles and stuff. And we were on tons of like, you know, U.S. teams and stuff. So I would see him all the time. And in that moment, when I kind of verbalized what I was feeling internally, then everything changed. And then like two or three weeks later, I won Tulsa, which was like a grade whatever ITF. And then got myself into Australia, did okay in the warm up tournament, then won junior Australia. And then from then, like everything changed. So it was a matter of like four months from that point where everything turned around and everything happened so fast. Well, it's that moment, right? You look back on it and it was just one conversation, yeah. one discussion, just adjustment and the tennis came together. So mm-hmm. it was really like a grand slam was what brought, what was the moment? Like you had no indication going into it that that would be it. No, I mean, when I played in Tulsa, like I felt different on the court. I just felt a little bit more free, more relaxed. And like I ran through everyone in that tournament, like one and one, oh and one. Wow. Like it was like, so it was different than what I had was going through in other tournaments where I was losing first, second round. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was, it was definitely like, I didn't go to Australia with the confidence of thinking I'm going to win this tournament. But as I started playing matches and I got tested or in the early rounds, that kind of gave me the confidence to keep going. And honestly, like I just scrapped through the matches and, and ended up winning. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Taylor Townsend here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Uh, the 2012 junior run was amazing. We don't have to dwell on a lot of the negative stuff. I just wanted to ask you the question. Do you feel in your mind, like looking back a decade or so, that your career was a little sidetracked and that you lost you know, some formative um, years because of the events that happened and you feel like maybe it stalled out a little bit? Yeah, I, I do. Like I talked about it sometimes where I was like, oh, I wish – like what if I had the setup that Coco had, you know, where she had her parents and she had like um, everybody in the development around her was so strong from the time that she was 13 and everybody was moving in the direction of like, we want you to go here. And so I was like, what if when I was 15 and I had confidence and I was doing well, like I had these things around me to be able to help continue me on this path like where could I have been? Right. So I've definitely thought about that, but I wouldn't change my journey for anything because it wouldn't have prepared me for all the things that I've gone through, or it wouldn't have allowed me to be as strong as I am today. You have that quote that I, I forget where it was, but I pulled it up. You know, tennis means the world to me. It's helped me through a lot of tough situations, good Mm -hmm. and bad times. Mm -hmm. And if you think about what you just said, like it, that experience, life experience makes you tougher. Yeah. And still at your age, mid twenties, there's a lot of tennis experiences and bad drama that players haven't recovered from. Right. So to be able to sit here and have had success after that, that we'll get to, but 
it got you through some of the dark times and surviving it is the key to just keeping going and looking forward. Yeah. I mean, I think the whole mantra of my brand and my, me and my career is just like perseverance. Like when you're in it, you don't realize what's going on. You just try to get through it and you don't really, until you sit back or you're years later and it's like, dang, like I really like I should have yeah. quit a long time ago, right. but you don't realize it until you're further along. It's just like, wow. So yeah, I mean, just being able to get through everything and, and I mean, I'm going to have my challenges. Like I'm in the midst of a challenge right now, like trying to come back and get back in shape and from pregnancy, from yeah. having a C-section from like your abdomen being totally obliterate, you know, like just certain things where even dealing with myself of being able to not compare where I was to where I am now and just like accepting, okay, this is where you are. It's not where you're going to be, but this is where you are right now. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's ch constant challenges, honestly, yeah. but it's just how you continue to put one foot in front of the other. If there's a silver lining from what went down. It's you got to be coached then by Zena Garrison. It was like shortly after that. And that's a pioneer in so many ways, but mm -hmm. what was it like to be able to learn from her on the court and just kind of pick her brain and use her as a resource for your career. Yeah. Um, it was nice to be able to kind of transition from being at USTA in kind of a strange environment to going somewhere where it was nobody who was affiliated with USTA. And, and Zena had had her um, fair share of, you know, tension with us. So she totally understood where I was coming from and how I felt and how that organization could potentially make you feel at times, you know? So especially as a black woman, she was able to connect with me in, in different ways that maybe other people couldn't have. So, um, it was great. And like, it kind of gave me a sense of freedom. Like, okay, I can talk, I can verbalize and let you know how I'm feeling. And I don't really have to keep everything inside or I'm not competing with anybody else for a spot. Like I know that you're coaching me and you're only here for me. I'm not having to yeah. like split you or if my ranking's not as high, then you're going to have to go with this person. So it was a lot yeah. of different elements that I didn't really have to deal with once I left. That's a, a bigger picture discussion. I think about like youth sports, mm -hmm. like these academies and developments that could be individual or team sports, but mm -hmm. if there's too many good kids there. You wonder, are these kids getting proper training and attention? So yeah. something to think about as well. Uh, 2014 Roland Garros. That's your first like main draw, right? Like yes. you never played in a main draw. Yes. And it was a pretty good debut. Right. You beat, you beat Vanya King in the first round and then you take out the local hero in Cornet in the second round. Mm -hmm. Were you just essentially playing with house money? Did you feel like I'm here? I'm going to play my best, like no <laughs> expectations. Or did you go with, uh, you know, a goal of winning a few matches in mind? Well, I mean, like I was very nervous, but the great part about it was I had won the wild card. That was the first year that they implemented right. like yeah. the hard true where you, however you have the combined ranking or the combined points of three events and however you do there, then you earn a wild card. So I didn't feel like I was there by accident, which made me feel really good and gave me a lot of confidence going into it. I had played three weeks in a row, won two tournaments. So I was confident in my game. So not necessarily, oh, yeah, I'm going to go whoop everybody, you know. <laughs> like, I didn't feel like that. You didn't that. walk into the locker room and say that? That yeah. probably would be a good idea. Yeah, like it wasn't that, but I just kind of stayed within. I felt yeah. like I was playing really good tennis, and it could translate to the other side. What was it like when you saw Andy Murray tweet about you? Because I know you saw that. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. I was like, no way. Because in my mind, I'm like, you know, they don't know me. Like, I'm not playing a lot of WTAs. Like, I don't, they, you know, I'm sure these players don't really know who I am. So it was cool for him to be able to, like, 
not only shout me out, but to recognize like my game and kind of the difference that I bring to the sport. Like, that was really cool. We're very spoiled like, <laughs> with the big four, just how yeah. they are as people too. Like mm-hmm. it's, I mean, that's why I keep saying like, it's, it's not normal for people that good to be that nice and humble. Right. It's, it's a unique thing because all of them have their own different personalities, like in their own ways that they verbalize things, which I think is really cool. So, um, yeah. Um, I mean, it was, it was, it was nice, honestly. When you were a professional, I mean, you turned pro and, and that's your first grand slam, but you've referred, you've referred to the first couple of years as kind of being like lost at sea and just, <laughs> yeah. you know, the grind of a, being a professional. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's hard to make that transition. What were some of the highs and lows like just being on the tour, playing singles and doubles every week as a pro now? Yeah, it was tough. I mean, like, like you said, it was kind of the lost at sea thing where I turned pro in 2013 and just my first year pro was just like I wish I could just throw it in the garbage like it it sucked so um it definitely wasn't my I guess evolution to where I am now or my ranking like definitely I wasn't expecting it um but I had some good you know things happen along the way but um yeah it's it's a grind and I'm fortunate enough to have have been higher in the top 100 and then literally the next week my ranking dropped to out of the 400s so like it literally was 94 one day 400 something the next day so then having to deal with that adjustment of playing going from playing in main draws of grand slams and maybe qualies of wta events to now i'm playing qualies of challengers and futures so i've been fortunate enough and i'm saying fortunate because for me i can understand the whole spectrum yeah um, so I've been fortunate enough to understand what that grind is like from being there dropping and having to work yourself back up Is playing doubles and something that you've gotten good at and you won the title in Auckland mm-hmm. and, and played with different partners. Did that come from just wanting to take a positive? Did you always like doubles or is yeah. that, you know, you're always, yeah. yeah, I've always loved doubles. I've always loved, cause I love team stuff. I yeah, just never played. Yeah. And, yeah. I just never played team sports, but I was yeah. like, I think I was made for them. Honestly, <laughs> you're playing tennis Might not have been perfect <laughs> for that personality, but no, as a, as a doubles players, we talked about different partners. I think Asia Muhammad, mm-hmm. have you settled on, is that like your full time? Like <laughs> that's your partner? Yeah. I mean, we, we talk and we're really good friends. So, I mean, we can like, we'll say, okay, we're going to commit to playing these tournaments. Kind of mm-hmm. like how you asked about yeah. picking a doubles partner. So say, okay, I'm going to play in this, 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 and this, or we're going to play in this, yeah. or this is my single schedule. Like what's your schedule? Like you, you kind of have to coincide with each other and figure out what makes sense. But both Asia and I play singles. So doubles isn't our priority when we're saying, okay, we're going to play these tournaments. Like it's always singles and then doubles comes after. But, um, yeah, I mean, we've create created a relationship over the years where we can just be transparent, but it's been a handful of times where we play together one week and then we don't play together the next week because we weren't able to get in. That's what happened in Auckland. Like I wasn't, I didn't play with Asia in Australia in after we won in Auckland because we weren't going to get in. Wow. So it just kind of happens that way. It's pretty crazy that your doubles title, you beat Serena <laughs> yeah. and Wozniacki right before she retired. Right. Like this dream team. Yeah. And you guys were the spoilers that just <laughs> ruined that moment. But no, it was it was a pretty, had to be a pretty surreal thing to not only get your first WTA title, but to beat the greatest of all time to do it. Yeah. I mean, me and Asia have been so close, like five times and just never were able to get over the hump. So it was really cool for us to be able to like, 
wrap it all up and be like, yes, we finally <laughs> did it. And that's what we said. Yeah. Like when I got, we were like, finally, like we've been so close. So, um, yeah, but we played great in that match mm-hmm. and we were just super focused and try not to look on the other side of the net. We we're just you, like, no, you guys compliment each other pretty well also mm-hmm. with your serve and volley game and, and her ground stroke ability. And then you were right there in the U S open, like mm-hmm. that semifinal match that could have gone either way. I'm probably I'm, still sting. So sorry to bring that up. It but. still triggers me. Like <laughs> I just can't, I can't even think of like a shank return on the top of the net on the backside of the line. Like it's uh, just, yeah. Mother's day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. More with Taylor Townsend here on Tennis Channel Inside and. 2019 U.S. Open, it had been five years since you've even, you know, the third round of your debut was as far as you've gotten in a Grand Slam, mm-hmm. and suddenly the breakthrough happens. And mm-hmm. not only does it happen, but it happens beating Simona Halep to get there, which everybody is obviously familiar <laughs> with. Yeah. I think a lot of what happened in that match is kind of like a microcosm of your career, right? Yeah. You're down a set, you take the lead, you have a chance to win, you have match points, yeah. suddenly you, you you lose that and you're into a tiebreaker. Yeah. Like that match was as much of a roller coaster as probably you've, you've experienced. <laughs> yeah, I can still like feel the tension in my body. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, that match was something that kind of, even looking back of having not played in almost a year, I haven't played since the US Open last year, but just thinking about that match and what I was able to overcome, it wasn't even about the tennis. Like it was just about being able to internally fight my demons and being able to get over that hump of like being scared, being nervous, playing, you know, not to lose. Like I literally was just like, this. <laughs> <laughs> like, Thank you for editing yeah. So but no, I, the serious thing is, how do you overcome blowing your opportunity earlier in that third set? Like, mm-hmm. how do you lock in? Suddenly you're six five. you mm-hmm. have to hold serve and get to a tiebreaker. Yeah, I was just like, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Like, once I committed to my strategy, I knew that it was working. I saw that she was frustrated and it was getting on her nerves. I was just like, I'm just going to keep going. And I honestly told myself, like, don't think about the score. Just do, like, just play point to point to point. And... That's what I was the most proud of because I was able to focus myself and just even if I lost a point, like, screw it. OK, let's go. Let's keep going. And just I stayed very like driven on the next point, the next point, the next point. I didn't get ahead of myself uh-huh. and I didn't try to look behind because if I did, she's too good. Like she would have got me watching them. I watched the highlights of that match today before we started this and just mm-hmm. the tension, the atmosphere, yeah. you had the crowd going, the announcer with the deep voices. doing yeah. it. The other thing I noticed, too, I mean, it's it's kind of sad to say, but Kobe was there. Yeah. That was another thing that stood out there. I mean, it was a high-profile crowd cheering for you. Yeah. In the moment, I mean, I know you wanted to win, and you did win, but it just had to feel amazing to have that moment to compete at that level. Yeah, it was awesome. And, like, when in it, I was just like, oh, I love this so much. You know, it was just so much fun for me. And as it got more tight, that's what I said. It was just great for me because I was able to battle so many different things that were going on internally. Yeah as well as like 
it's great to have the crowd. Like there's nothing like a New York crowd. So the fact that they were for me was great and it was helping me too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I didn't know Kobe was there until after the match was over. Um, but it was amazing. Like I just, I can still feel the energy. Like when I watch the highlights on YouTube, I can still feel what that feeling was like when I played. It's almost like that's what players are chasing more than almost the wins themselves. <laughs> that feeling of competing and winning yeah. in front of that crowd. Well, you know, you've also been someone that that's very straightforward with, God has a plan for everything and mm -hmm. becoming a mother. Congrats again. Thank on that. you. And, uh, you know, that, that experience has been, you know, had to be very changing and challenging at times, yeah. but do you feel like that opportunity has brought on just a new perspective and not just tennis, but life itself too? Absolutely. Like it's very easy because you get caught up in the world of you travel new place every week, living out of a suitcase, like, it's easy to get caught up in feeling as though like tennis is everything, you know, this is all that we do. This is our life. This is how we make our living. Like this is everything. Um, and how you do dictate sometimes how you feel your moods. Like, you know, if you're not feeling well, you're just like, Oh, this sucks, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, but definitely being away from the game unintentionally because <laughs> this was an accident <laughs> yeah you said it yeah. that's, that's I, your words yes i own that okay um aiden if you listen to this i'm sorry but it's true <laughs> um, a happy accident we'll yes that. exactly style, yeah um but just forcibly being away from the game since basically september of u.s open last year um i've never watched as much tennis in my entire career like it's just given me such a appreciation for the game and also a love again for it that it's like I really truly miss playing and being out on the court and competing and just those feelings so it's definitely giving me a different perspective and having a child has given me the motivation that I didn't have when I was playing before he came because it's like now I have a why like I have a reason to go out here and like Every time that I'm away from home, even being here, like every time I'm away from home, it's giving me that drive to do the best that I can because I'm taking time away from being away from my son, you know, so You're playing for something. Yeah, yeah. So it gives me a why and it gives me a reason, a real reason to, for everything. And, yeah. um, it, it sticks. And I also just thought like when I, I've been associated with tennis channel for like six years, there wasn't really many moms on tour. If any yeah. back then you had Kim Kleister's take a break, come back, but yeah. now it's, Serena, Zarenka, Parankova, yourself, a couple yeah. others as well. Yeah. There's there's a place for it now. The game is getting older, but I think women are seeing that they could have a child. They don't have to just retire and have kids. Yeah, I think that's been the mantra for, like, women's sports in general. Like, even back in with the WNBA and, like, people who have kids, it's like, okay, it's over. And um, so I like that the game is changing in that way because it opens up the opportunity for you to say hey like no I'm not done I have more like and that's how I feel like I'm only 25 so it seems as though like I've been on the tour for a decade which sounds ridiculous <laughs> like it's crazy to even think yeah. about that but it's like I have so much more to to give and like you look at players Pagula uh, Madison Key Sloan who peaked in their mid to late 20s and are playing the, their best tennis so yeah i i'm fortunate honestly and i can't wait to get back out there and georgie just won the rogers cup at 29 yeah, exactly biggest tournament ever and, exactly. and i do think your style of play could suit you as you get older too yeah. with more experience um and no I, I think it's great and i think um 
you know, now you said watching all this tennis prepares you for working in TV as <laughs> yeah. well, because now that's what we're doing here. And is it as hard, is it harder than you thought to be coming into a studio show and having to prepare? And if you could just take us through like what a day in the life <laughs> of one of these shifts is for you. Yeah. I mean, so my day since being here, because my trainer is here. So I was like, continuing with my fitness. So I do a session at 7 a.m. Then I do a session. I have breakfast. I do a session at 11. Then I got to do my hair. And then, <laughs> and then yeah. I come in and get my makeup and stuff done. But yeah, it's definitely like, I wouldn't say harder because I've always been very comfortable with like public speaking and interviews and that kind of stuff. So this part for me is easier because it's like I'm having a conversation, like I mean, I'm talking to yeah. you. So that part for me is easy, but it's just like, you know, the waiting and then you having to kind of gather your thoughts and know what you want to say or kind of what points you want to bring out and trying to make sure that you stay on topic of like analyzing certain things. So, um, yeah, that part can be difficult because TV is like everything. You only have a certain amount of time, so you better right. get what you need to say when you got to say it. So, um, yeah, in that aspect, it can be tough, but um, I've been having a great time. Maybe there's a future in this. Well done. I've been told course, I've been told that for a long time. I'm glad I was for able to experience it. So, um, but yeah, my focus is definitely getting back out there and swinging a racket. Is there any uh, like timeline on that? Like when you think you're going to be back to playing tennis or just playing it by ear? Yeah, I I said between March and May of next year. Um, actually, next week when I go back home, I'm starting like organized practices and um, getting back out to hitting balls and just getting used to, you know, hitting again since I haven't done it in a long time. I mean, I, I hit every once in a while, but, um, nothing consistent. So I'm excited for that. Um, just another step, you know, getting yep. back. Um, but I said March and May, I wanted to give myself time, like yep. 12 to 14 months. I didn't want to rush. I wanted to enjoy being a mother, kind of get my claws into everything <laughs> yeah. of like, you know, a routine and figuring out how the baby is and all of that stuff. Like I wanted to be able to enjoy that and like be able to be 100% before having to go back out and kind of split my time. Well, I mean, I think it's smart to just come back and be fully healthy and take your time. No need to rush a lot of tennis in front of you. Taylor, this was awesome. Thanks for coming <laughs> and chatting with us on the podcast. And one last thing. Yeah. Because I've heard the person filming right now, Charlene, said you love to dance and you love music. <laughs> I Those do. Those two big interests for you. I do. I love music. I, I mean, I like to dance. I think I can dance, but when I look at it on camera, okay. it looks terrible. So I'm just going to have that in my brain, but I'll bust a move. You know, I, Anytime. Did, some, I did some beatboxing in the in the thing so uh <laughs> yeah. anytime like pre-match it did calm you down like when you have nerves like get a little dancing oh my god so in juniors i used to have these big bright beats you remember the yeah, be yeah, big yeah. beats had like these you're the colored ones i had yeah, the orange like ones oh orange. yeah okay. i had orange and my doubles partner gabby had the purple one so you remember you could switch out the things so i would have a purple thing on one side <laughs> she had the orange one and i literally would like be just jamming like jumping up and down like just I used to dance like crazy because I think that was like my nervous energy yeah. and I was getting it out. So now I'm like more, mm, like <laughs> I'm just trying to be calm. We got triple threat now. We got tennis player, TV personality, professional dancer, maybe. Yes, no. no, in my mind, <laughs> in like mind. on my Best dancer of all time in your mind. Oh, I no, 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 don't put, don't do that <laughs> okay. to me. But on my Instagram feed, literally that's always like, I just want to be able to dance but I can't, 
but I want to like that's I just look at professional like choreographers and stuff. I'm just this is so cool. Like you guys look so cool. Oh, <laughs> well, we're, we're gonna follow that as well. Taylor Townsend, thank you again for joining Tennis Channel Insight and best of luck with everything. We're looking forward to uh, seeing you back on the court one day soon. Thanks for joining the show. No, thank you. This was fun. A very big thank you to Taylor Townsend for taking time from her busy TV schedule that week to come on Tennis Channel Inside In. She was a joy to talk to. A lot of good tennis in her future. And uh, she's someone that definitely has a great perspective on things at her young age. So thanks again to Taylor Townsend. Now we're going to switch to Prakash Armitrage, who was all over TV in Cincinnati on site. He's got a lot to say about Ash Barty's dominant run. Alexander Zverev back in the winner's circle again. And what the U.S. Open has in store. No Serena, no Federer, no Nadal. We do have Djokovic. We do have Osaka. We do have two trophies up for grabs in the Big Apple. It's Prakash Armitrage now on Tennis Channel Inside In. Welcome to another edition of Tennis Channel Inside In, now joined by Prakash Armitrage. You can catch him at a tennis tournament worldwide or at a gym near you, Prakash. <laughs> thanks for joining the show. Hey, they, they, they don't allow me into some gyms, so it'll be probably select gyms that I'm allowed select, into. Yeah. Great to see you, Mitch. How you been, man? I'm doing well. I've uh, been following the tennis like you are. You were on site in, in Cincinnati, and I do want to start there. Um, there's a lot of stories with what happened in the event, but I got to give credit where credit's due. Ash Barty, with what she was able to do, um, is just phenomenal. Steamrolling the competition. I, it was basically like a bulldozer. It was a freight train that was run away, and, and it was unstoppable. Uh, I want to get to the metrics first. 14-1 uh, and one now. She's got five titles on the year, all since the shutdown. But 14-1 and one versus the top 20. That's the thing that stood out to me that made me say, wow. And you being on site, Prakash, and seeing it. Just how amazing is what she's doing in your eyes? I can't actually find enough words to... Uh, sort of describe how I how I feel about her. I mean, one, she's she's about as humble and graceful in a genuine way. I mean, none of this is put on as you can possibly find in an athlete, right? She comes from a long lineage of greats from Australia, and and it's funny she takes that responsibility and says it helps her, you know. And I think that's that's part of why she is the way she is. I love watching her play because she's a complete throwback with her all-court game, backhand slice, everything. And the fact that she just completely rises for the for the biggest opponents, the biggest matches. I mean, where do you where do you go? Where do you attack her? You know, it's almost like she has to sort of start making errors and crumble a little bit, which which you know we saw a little bit of in Australia when she was up a set and a break. Uh, in, in I think it was against Mukova before she ended up going down. Aside from that, she's been kind of unbeatable this year. Do you remember what six months ago, whenever maybe longer, when everyone's like, ah, Ash Barty's number one, but I don't know, she hasn't played, and is she really the best player? It's fun. I haven't heard that recently. <laughs> no one's debating who number one is now. No, no, she, she's not. I mean, look, uh, Wimbledon, Cincinnati, and you know, coming into the Open now, she's she's the clear favorite. And you know what's frightening? Getting to chat with her up close, Mitch. She has not been home since before Miami. <laughs> Living out of a suitcase. <laughs> living out of a suitcase. I said, where have you been staying? She's like, oh, here and there. You know, I mean, if that's happening to me, I'm, I'm losing my mind. You, know, you want to sleep in your own bed. You want to eat your own food, all these things. So that's a that's an extra sense of mental toughness that she's been able to do because, look, last year, she didn't she didn't play anything. She yeah. wanted to play it really safe. So you, you think that may hurt her game, but you know, she's, she's bounced back and, and just showing all sorts of mental toughness. 
Yeah, the, the humbleness stands out for how talented she is. She uses the word we with her team more than any tennis player that I've ever heard, and you just love to see that. She really does treat it like a team sport. Her ability to stay in the moment, to not get rattled, and to completely frustrate her opponents and, and the way she plays. Now she feeds off of just causing difficulties for the opposition. I know they're, you know, we're not in this Serena dominant era. It's hard to say overwhelming favorite, but she is a clear cut favorite going into New York when you think about taking it one match at a time and how her game pretty much does match up well against everyone she plays. I'm going to add a little intangible there mm-hmm. uh, uh, for you. Yes. Matchup-wise, hard courts play a little quick over there. I, w- I would certainly agree. But New York is is very unique. Mm-hmm. And this year, you're going to have full fans. It's 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 the summer in New York. It's a completely different vibe. You know, there's there's a lot going on. There's a lot of commotion. And you got to deal with all that. And I'm, I'm, look, she's a champion. She'll adjust to any, any circumstance. I mean, if she's playing a match on the moon, you know, I probably, I probably still back her, but you know, it's something that she hasn't conquered just yet. So I think it'll be interesting to see how she, how she matches up with that, you know, New York crowd, the New York atmosphere, the hustle and bustle, because I think that's another uh, sort of non-spoken about challenge that everyone has to conquer if they're going to win that title. I think she's tough to boo also, though. I mean, I'll, I'll agree with you, but she's not somebody that I think the crowd's going to get on. She's just too Oh, likeable. no, no, no. I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't yeah. mean I don't mean as far as a crowd being against her. Yeah. Um, Liz, I, I, don't, I don't know a single human that, that's going <laughs> to cheer against Ash or yeah. boo Ash. Yeah. No, I didn't mean that. I yeah, meant I just more New York's got like a different mm-hmm. energy, you mm-hmm. know? Some people, uh, you know, thrive off of that, where it's just quick, 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 this and that. You know, London, you can find your pockets where, you know, you can find your calmness, this, that. New York, New York, it's a little bit tougher. Well, on the men's side, Prakash, it was Alexander Zverev winning his first Cincinnati title, but not his first Masters. He's fresh off winning a gold medal. He essentially, I mean, the Sitspas match was tough, which we'll get to in a second. But aside from that, it was pretty smooth sailing for Zverev this tournament. And I know he's had peaks and valleys, and we can get into whether it's mental or what part of his game has succeeded and broken down. But would you say this is the best tennis he's ever played for a sustained stretch? You know, it's it's funny. I asked him that question because I felt the answer is yes, right? I was I was in London covering the World Finals when he won it in 2018. Um, you know, I, I was in Madrid when he won it earlier this year. But I, I really think this is the most confident I've ever seen him up close. You know, when I was around him, he it almost looked like he had a bit of a glow about him. You know, after the Olympics, especially coming back in that fashion and beating Novak uh, down a set and a break, and then I don't think he lost a game after that, or maybe he lost one game. You know, I think it, it, it does something to you. And that event's once every four years. That makes you feel like as high stakes a champion as you can get. Now he's backed it up with this. He, he, he should be feeling the best he's ever felt going into a slam, you know? There was something about two tournaments in a row with him. Like the Olympic, like he's won tournaments, he's won Masters, and he's won the year-end finals, like you said. But something about following up the Olympics where he had to come from behind, beat Djokovic, destroys Hatchinoff in the final, and then backing it up. That's where I would say the answer is yes, and the confidence is there. And the Sitsipas match, which had a ton of emotional roller coasters in it, he had to dig deep in that one. That was the perfect time for maybe the old Sasha to just check out, you know, rest up, fight another day. But no, he, he dug in. And I think that, from a sustained standpoint, what happens in a major, like until he wins his first major, we're always going to have the doubts. But for a couple-week, month-long run, this is about as good as I've seen him watching. And, you know, I think that match that you mentioned against Tsitsipas had, uh, there was a lot of undertones to it, right? Uh, aside from the obvious stuff that that went on, I think these two guys are going to be competing for slams along with Medvedev. And uh, you, maybe you throw in a couple of the guys, you know, who are just underneath that tier right now, like a Rublev and so forth. But 
these three guys are going to be competing for slams for over the next decade, right? I, I called in February. I said Stefanos was going to be the first guy to win a slam. I was close in June, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, it didn't happen. And now it looks like, you know, Zverev is probably the favorite amongst those three to, to win the U.S. Open. A couple of weeks ago, I would have said Medvedev. So it's constantly changing. So having said that, these matches, I, I think they, they play a role in their history, their rivalry, as they gear up for those big slams. Steph was 6-2 and two against Zverev coming into this match. So for Zverev to pull this up, that's, that's a big one because you don't know when they'll meet again in no. a slam. Could be a semi, could be a final. These things uh, play a role. He beat him in Acapulco as well. So six and three now is Sitsipas in the head to head, but Zverev's got the momentum there. And uh, I had never seen a player do re- delivery go right to the umpire and say he's in the locker room texting. He's co- he's getting coaching, and that's you know another debate for another time. But I think it's just like you said, undertones. This is a competitive rivalry. It's a, it's a no love lost rivalry, which I personally love to see that these guys are are, are at each other's neck, so to speak, trying to go for the top spot. It was an it was. <laughs> It was very interesting because he said it. I mean, it, it was clear as day into the mic. You know, I mean, he, yeah. he knew, he, he, you know, so everyone heard it. And but Steph didn't know. So, you know, they shared like a like a, you know, all love moment at the end. But I'm sure Steph caught up on the news later. And in the interview right after, you know, we talked about the match a little bit. And then and then I asked him, I said, you know, listen, Sash, it's Saturday night. All the 500 people here, they've had some drinks. They're watching. Let's let's keep it real. You know, I said, listen, our man took a took a break. I'm not sure if you saw the interview. I said, our man yeah. took a break. You know, you got real heated. You know, what what, what happened? And listen, he, he gave his answer. He said, listen, I, I like to keep it just about tennis. You know, he's done this before, blah, blah, blah. And, and that's his opinion. You know, we don't we don't know factually this, that. But mm-hmm. the fact that it came out certainly adds another layer to their, uh, you know, rivalry. We can talk about what the rules should be, but rules are rules. And if that did happen, I mean, that's where I could see Zverev uh, taking offense to that. The other side of this uh, Cincinnati term I want to touch on, Rublev made the final. It didn't go well for him against Zverev. But there might have been a little bit of a breakthrough, finally getting past his countrymate Medvedev. I know that you know one win might not you know, set everything, set the course perfectly, but that was a mental challenge for him. That was like a roadblock in his mind. And I know Medvedev had the implosion with the camera situation. But for Rublev, I think this win, it, this win is going to be big for his future going forward. I, I certainly think so. Listen, I've, I've been on the record saying I'm a huge fan of Rublev. He's a, he's a great kid. He, he, he's really respectful of, of every one of his opponents. He just uh, busts his backside, you know, every single day. So I, I think he's got a huge, huge upside. I was a little bummed out in the final because it, it, after the biggest win that he's had, he, he looked a little bit like a deer in the headlights. Mm-hmm. You know, he was coming in with the same 0-4 record against Zverev, but for some reason he just he took on that role of, oh, you know what, it looks like I've never beaten the guy, and he kind of took that body language into the match and never just quite got started. So, you know, he, he's maybe just a step behind the, these three guys that we're talking about, Medvedev, Fitzpas, and Zverev, but... Yo, he's right there, man. I mean, no one, very few people strike the ball as clean as he does. The one thing I will say, which which really showed me a lot of growth, was in that Medvedev match, he started coming in a bunch. He he was willing to change things up. And when you're willing to be uncomfortable and change things up, that's how you grow. That's how you become a better player. So all, all great things for him. Yeah, backing up a big win, we see the letdown after players beat one of the big three, even in majors. It's, it's tough to follow that up, but we'll see what Rublev can do. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Still talking with Prakash Armitrage on Tennis Channel Inside In. Let's go to the U.S. Open where Novak Djokovic is looking to become the first man in this open era to hold all four grand slams. And, you know, comes in without having played tennis before, which we talked about last week on the show. He's played the Olympics. He didn't play Rogers Cup or Cincinnati. Do you still feel like going into this tournament with Djokovic listed as the prohibitive favorite Prakash that it is Novak versus the world? Yeah, you you have to. Um, it was interesting when I was talking to Sasha in Cincinnati uh, Sasha should be, you know, on cloud nine, if not, uh, you know, something higher. And he said, yeah, you know, I feel like, you know, I'm the guy over there, you know, still after Novak, he was, <laughs> he was very clear, even yeah. though he's had the run that he's had Tokyo and over here. And look, you still got to put Novak there. Novak is, you know, like fed in his prime, like Rafa in his prime, they can take off time, come back and literally play themselves into prime form in a match or even two matches. So, you know, I'm not too worried about Novak not having any matches. He'll be, he'll be fine. He won't be threatened too much in the first or second round, and especially even more so with, with the 32 seeds now as opposed to the 16 from, you know, a few decades back. Yeah. So, you know, he'll work his way in, and, and listen, he, he's going to be his own. Uh, he's just got to beat himself, you know. Uh, I take that back. He's just got to not beat himself yeah. to, to win. And best of five also. I mean, it's, you know, you're oh, as, exactly. as, yeah, as we're doing this, you're, you're wearing the Cassius Clay shirt, you know, and, and Novak, much like, as yeah, you stand up the greatest, of course. I mean, much like Muhammad Ali, it's like, how are you going to finish the champ off? You know, down two sets, down, you know, facing match points in this tournament. He still fights. He still competes. It's not over until it's over with him. I know those are all cliches, but until you actually physically eliminate him from this tournament, Prakash, I'm going to need to see it to believe it. And, He's earned that right to be the prohibitive favorite because he comes up big in big moments against the three challengers that you listed. Yeah, I think this year especially, you know, I take that back over the last 18 months, um, that match against Rafa in the semis of the French, one of the best matches I've ever seen in my entire life. The quality was just absurd. And he's he's increased his mental ability to a level which is just you know, I did a, um, we got a little segment, Prakash on point, on one of the new shows we're doing on Tennis Channel. And one of the segments I, I did that on was about Novak after he won his 20. And, you know, I, I compared him to, you know, uh, Jordan and, and, and Kobe, who was a mentor of his. And, you know, I, I think he's, he's really transcended the sport as, as an athlete. You know, we got to look at him as one of the most clutch performers of all time. And this coming from a guy who self-admittedly was a little soft in those clutch moments early in his career. So, I, there's, there's not enough I can say about what's what's in between the ears for that guy. Just astounding. All three of the players, Verev, Sitsipas, and Medvedev, like you, we mentioned, acknowledge him as the alpha, as the guy that they have to get through to win this tournament. Uh, outside of those three, is there anybody else, maybe Rublev, Berrettini, who made the Wimbledon final? Anybody else you look at on the men's side that can make an impact and maybe, you know, make that deep run? Um, look, I, I, like, I like both those. I, I like the big hitters. You know, because when you look at a guy like Medvedev, you look at a guy like Zverev, you look at a guy like uh, Steph too, they're all so solid. You know, they're not going to throw in very many bad days, especially a guy like Medvedev, you know. Um, So you got to come with some juice. And a guy like Berrettini's got it. 
you know, that's serving that forehand, you, you can put some holes through some people. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a guy like Shapovalov's got it. He showed a bit more consistency at Wimbledon, making it to the semis there. Played a great match against Novak, too. Listen, he closes out that first set. You know, all of a sudden, you know, maybe maybe you get, things get a bit tighter. And and I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his. So maybe Berrettini, Shapo, um, Rublev definitely got juice. Uh, I think he's still struggling against this this upper echelon of these these yeah. three guys and, and Novak. But uh, those are those are probably the main guys. I mean, look, the men's game is very interesting right now. You got a lot of people who are who are playing really well. But um, the best of five thing, it's just tough, man. It's yeah. not that extra set. You know, it's so funny. Steph's biggest lesson after the French was, I'm like, Steph, what did you learn? And he goes, I've learned that you do not win a match, especially in the final of a Grand Slam, by winning two sets. Yeah. It's so simple, but it's true. You know, that extra set makes a lot of difference. I would add Felix to that list as well. He's very close to putting it together. That Wimbledon run was great. He beat Berrettini in Cincinnati. He's he's close. He's close. I don't know if it'll happen this time, but he's knocking he is close, and the last couple of tournaments, he's he's really been turning it up too. He's um he's he's looked a lot more confident. I think he had a little bit of a struggle when he first hired Tony Nadal, but yeah. now I think he's settling in a little bit more, and uh, he's looked good. On the women's side of this tournament, got to start off with some bad news. Looking at the U.S. Open, Serena Williams withdraws officially today. Said it was a torn hamstring that she hasn't fully recovered from. This, unfortunately, Prakash, wasn't uh, unexpected. It seemed like that we were trending this way. They didn't really release anything, her team. And uh, just another unfortunate situation where we're not going to see the greatest of all time in a major. And uh, we are just kind of hoping that these opportunities keep happening. But at her age, going to be 40 next month, you wonder how many more chances she's going to have. Yeah, it's, you know, when I, when I look at uh, Serena and Venus, uh, a couple of thoughts, you know, go to mind. One, you, you know, you, you, you want them to win. Mm-hmm. You just want them to win. It's a little bit at different levels right now. Right now, you want Venus to be able to play the kind of tennis that can can be enjoyable for her. You know, she's got such high standards. It's brutal when you see her like we did in Cleveland, uh, Chicago rather, not fully healthy. You know, struggling to kind of you know bend, move, and and so forth. You're just praying for good health for her. Serena, on the other hand, gosh, she's been so close to getting this 24th slam, you know, several times. So everyone is just aching to push her over the edge. But these extended breaks, which she has just been the champion of in her in her past, I mean, you should take out eight months, come back and just play championship form. It gets tougher when, you know, the body starts breaking down a little bit. You know, Wimbledon, that was completely unexpected, yeah. you know. And grass, you know, things are shorter. You can play your way into the tournament and all of a sudden be playing prime tennis. The fact that that happened early... It's it's tough. It's just a brutal battle against time. But having said that, if there's anyone who has and can work miracles, it's it's a champion like Serena Williams. In one match, you still put her up against anybody in terms of getting it done, even at her age. The the big issue is, as you mentioned, going seven matches in a Grand Slam. The depth of talent in the women's game has, in my opinion, never been stronger. And you just wonder with the health and the form how much longer she can keep it up. The other thing to note is with, with the depth of talent, with you know her injuries, much like Roger Federer, they're not going to have those top top seed top seeded spots anymore. So when they come back, it's going to be thrown right into the fire immediately, and not having that you know ranking too. So that makes it tougher, mm-hmm. especially in the women's game. Mm-hmm. I, I think the women's game is in such a mm-hmm. great place right now. I'm such a fan. It is so deep. There are so many people who think they can beat anyone. You know, when people step on the court with Serena, they actually think they can win now, you know, which adds a whole different element to it. But having said that, 
you know, again, Serena's been right there. I mean, look, last year she lost in three to Vika in the semis. Vika loses in three to Naomi in the final, you know. Mm-hmm. This year in Australia, I really believe that Serena may have won the tournament if Muguruza converts on one of those match points against Osaka. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's, it's inches here and there, yeah. you know. First major since 1997 did not feature any of Rafa, Roger, or Serena, which a lot of the field wasn't even born then. So um, wow. crazy, crazy. Speaking of Osaka, we mentioned Barty being the favorite. Naomi kind of sliding in, I'd say slightly under the radar, given you know that she hasn't played much tennis and the results haven't been there in the Olympics or Cincinnati. But she comes in still the second favorite list as the odds, maker, odd, odds makers. Prakash, do you think Naomi has it in her to defend her title this year? Yeah, I do. She absolutely does. She just needs to uh, find that mindset. And once she's in that zone, just kind of stay in it. You know, when she when she gets in it, you you can't really distract her. Yeah. Um, there's there's obviously been so much going on this year. Even in Cincinnati, when she won that first round against Coco, uh, it was second round. She had a bye. Uh, she literally said, even if I lost that match, you know, considering all the things I've been through this year, I, I'm still winning. Yeah. You know, I consider this a win. So she's obviously looking at things from a bigger perspective other than just the tournament at hand. Uh, she just dropped new NFTs today. She, she's got a, a Levi's deal she just did. She's, she, is, she is all over the place doing so many things, you know, bringing more eyeballs to the sport and so forth. It's a lot, you know. So if she can, especially in New York, I can't even imagine the mm-hmm. obligations that she has. So, you know, if she can just kind of, you know, get into that tunnel, absolutely. They definitely got a good shot. I'm getting those like old school Serena vibes in the sense where her toughest matches are going to be early. Like if she can rev up into form and get through the first couple matches, it's not so much about who she's playing, but finding her form, finding her game. Because we've seen if she gets in the later stages of a Grand Slam, she's as money as it gets. So I think the yeah, biggest thing is going to be settling a, in. The stat, is, is the stat right where every time she's made it past the quarters, she's won the Slam? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's 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 four, pretty frightening. Four. I think I think her and Serena definitely two different kind of athletes, <laughs> mentalities, and so forth. But uh, but yeah, later stages, she's been nailed. And I just want to see the Osaka Barty rivalry on court. I just think that could be such great tennis. We can finally get those two to play in a big match yeah. final. Could be good. Um, as far cool. as far as the other players in this tournament. There really isn't that clear cut number three. Do you see somebody else? I know Sabalenka is ranked number three in the world. She kind of had a breakthrough at Wimbledon. Pliskova's playing better. Benchett's won the gold medal. Is there anybody that stands out to you as maybe that third third spot? No, I think three through 12. <laughs> yeah. You know, you got you got a lot of great names in there. Uh, you know, Pliskova had had a good shot at, at Wimby. You know, she'd been to number one, thought she might get that first slam there. But I think Sasha has been has been a really good coach for her. I think I think having him in her ear having been, you know, where he's been to with Serena and, and, and Naomi and so forth is just great, great knowledge for her. Um, Arena, again, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Arena. She, she's, she's a great girl. I love watching the way she strikes the ball, the way she competes. Um, but she's she's gone off the boil mentally a little bit here and there. So I think she needs to tighten that up because there's no room for that in a slam. Yeah. You know, you uh, you know you have a slip up, you're gone. Um, and, and, and the X factor... I'm, I'm going to throw this out there because I, I have made it very, very public that mm. she's one of my favorites to watch. I just, you know, hope hope the girl stays healthy is Bianca Andreescu. Now, yeah. I, I she belongs in in the top few in the world, 100 um, percent. You know, when she won in Canada and the U.S. Open in 2019, Indian Wells, it was, again, that old school brand of tennis. 
and, and just a tremendous amount of power, athleticism. She was sliding. She was she was covering the net like someone from the '90s, and and she was exciting, mm-hmm. you know. And when I talk with her up close, my favorite quality, and you see this in a Nadal, you see this in an Andy Murray, like she loves the taste of blood, you know. Like <laughs> yeah. she loves to fight. Yeah. When things are difficult for her, she thrives on that. That is my favorite quality in any athlete in any sport. She's got all that. You know, she's just had a lot of bad luck with injuries. You know, recently, I think it was her, her toe or something like that. Um, but look, when she plays, even Miami this year, she won every three setters. She made the final. So uh, she's, she's a bit of an X factor. I know, I know her trainer, Abdul. I know they've been tra- training very hard. So, you know, maybe some magic in New York. You know, she rises to the occasion. Last time she played this tournament, she won it. And in 2019, there was no doubt who the best hardcore player in the world was. It wasn't even close. It was Bianca Andreescu. Just want to see her healthy as well. Uh, Those are some good names to look out for. I would also add two younger players to the list to maybe make some magical noise. Svantec has been steadily improving. I like her game. Iga's been doing well. And you got to mention Coco Goff because still at the stage where she's figuring it out. But first quarterfinal this year, going to have the crowd behind her. We know that. This would be a magical time for her to put it together. Yeah, it would be huge. I mean, look, Iga has a little bit more time on clay where she's mm-hmm. most comfortable. But when she's striking the ball on both sides, especially on that on that backhand where she's, she's able to hit the same shot uh, open stance, you know, on the dead run as she's able to with the closed stance, she's got a lot of versatility. You know, things are just a little bit quicker on the hard court. So uh, take a little bit of adjusting, but she'll be good. Coco's going to be a blast to watch. I got to be with her up close in, uh, in D.C., and the first thing I told her is the fact that every time I see her, it really seems like she's adding more facets to her game. You know, she's, she's, she's using the slice more, throwing in a serve and volley once in a while. And I love that. When you're young, things are going well. The easiest thing to do is stay in your lane and continue winning. But she's still looking to grow as an athlete and as a player. So, you know, just, just sky's the limit. It's going to be fun. I can't wait for it. Prakash Armitraj, thanks for joining Tennis Channel Inside In. One last thing. Just how pumped are you to have a U.S. Open, New York City, Fans back. We finally got that atmosphere that we we missed dearly last year. Listen, Cincinnati that we were just in right now, it was the first time I was at an event with full fans since 2019. Mm. And, Mitch, it was electric. I, I couldn't tell who appreciated it more. Was it the players or the fans? I mean, every piece we did on set, every interview I did, there must have been 600 people behind us, you know, cheering for, for the players. It, it was electric, you know. In D.C., I was literally on the court, not even in the front row, on the court because I, I was emceeing there for Jack and Rafa's match. It was, it was just electric. And, you know, the, the, the players feed off this so much. I think it's going to be magic in New York. Gosh, appreciate you coming on. Uh, we had a guest on the show as well. It was a dog just going back and forth. Oh, uh, Jonah, did you say hi? Come here, buddy. He come was here, saying come hello. Say, say hi to everybody. Good boy. He was saying Good boy. hello. Come here, buddy. <laughs> okay. Come here, buddy. Jonah, say hi to everybody. Who do you think is going to win the U.S. Open? Who do you think is going to win the U.S. Open? That oh, sounded like Djokovic. <laughs> I don't know. I can't tell. It sounded like you said no way. Uh, Prakash, pleasure as always. Thanks for joining the show. Thanks, my guy. That will do it for this week's episode of Tennis Channel Inside In. Big thanks again to Prakash Armitage and Taylor Townsend. And a reminder, as always, you can catch this episode on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Go to tennis.com. You'll find all the great podcasts there. This show, as well as the other countless shows on our network. Lots of great content pumped daily just for your viewing and your listening pleasure. We'll be back next week as the U.S. Open ramps up. It's the last major of the year. we got to make it count. 
This is Tennis Channel Insight, and I'm Mitch Michaels. And until next time, keep enjoying tennis.